WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This week, Vice President Kamala Harris and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg were here in Charlotte. They were here to tout that trillion dollar infrastructure bill. WCNC Charlotte's Hunter Signs was there and spoke one on one with Secretary Buttigieg about how this bill could really help transform the Queen City. First off, why Charlotte on one of your stops uh, touting this plan? Well, uh, uh, three things I would point to. A great track record, a lot of growth, and a lot of need. If you look at what it's going to take for Charlotte to continue its economic success, there have to be more and better options to connect people to jobs, to opportunities, to school, to each other. And, you know, that's something that uh, there's been a lot of innovation here, uh, both with this mayor and, and uh, in, in previous years. We want to make sure we're supporting that. And the, the reality is you've had communities like Charlotte that have been innovating, thinking about the future, putting their money where their mouth is, but they haven't had the support that they deserve from Washington. Year after year of talk in Washington about, oh, we're going to do infrastructure. It's infrastructure week. Get ready. And now it actually is. We're, we're finally doing it with historic levels of investment. In fact, what we're doing on transit is the most federally that has ever happened in the United States. So this is a great place to show what it actually means, not numbers on a page, but you know, buses, uh, rail cars and uh, you know more routes, more frequency, more safety, less pollution, less congestion. This is a great place to highlight all of that. One of the things, and we, you saw it for yourself here, are these electric vehicles, not only in our transit systems, but it's really improving, trying to boost the amount of electric vehicles that are used by everyday people. Mm -hmm. How are you going to do it? What's the goal? And how are you going to make it affordable? Well, uh, one of the first things we have to do is act to make it more affordable. Uh, you know, if, if you have an electric vehicle, you, you benefit from fuel savings, but that doesn't do you any good unless you can afford it in the first place. That's why the Build Back Better law calls for a major tax credit to reduce that price. We've also got to make sure we have the right charging infrastructure. Uh, you know, if you live in a standalone house, then you already have charging infrastructure. It's the plug in your wall. But if you're in a high-rise building or uh, an area where you don't have that kind of service uh, that, that makes it easy to, to get from uh, where you live to where you're driving to if you go long distances, that's where we got to think about more charging infrastructure. This bill, uh, the bill that just passed and was signed, that provides for half a million charging stations around the country. And that's part of the president's vision to make sure that our country is ready for that. So if we do those two things, deal with the prices on one side and the access to charging on the other, that catapults us into a new era of electric vehicles. And we're also excited about more and more of those vehicles being made here in the United States by American workers, creating jobs as we go. We, of course, have this transformational mobility network that I know you've heard about, and it includes a silver and a red line. Mm -hmm. The red line specifically is something we have not been able to do because Norfolk Southern has derailed it, for lack of a better term. Um, what is the federal government, what can they do to try to make them you know, more agreeable to things like this and not be a barrier yeah. to a booming city like Charlotte? Well, we are calling on freight operators to work well in partnership with passenger operators while, of course, protecting their legitimate business interests. And without knowing all of the details of, of this case, uh, I, I think there are more ways to get to yes that we need to continue looking for. And uh, my department is ready to convene the, the players and do anything we can uh, to help that work because a good rail system is one that can move goods, of course, but also people efficiently. Uh, you know, the U.S. has frankly settled for less for a long time. 
when it comes to the frequency, the speed, the reliability of our passenger rail systems. And it's usually not because of anything that those passenger systems are doing wrong. Uh, it's because there are these disconnects with the freight side. Yeah, I, I want to ask, of course, about this supply chain issue. It's mm -hmm. one thing to throw money at all of these states in various ways like this bill does, but when you don't have the labor to do it mm -hmm. and costs are going up in construction, how are you going to tackle that? Yeah, well, this is one of the reasons why we're paying a lot of attention to things like workforce, too, and the Build Back Better agenda will help more people rejoin the labor force by helping with issues like childcare. We've also got to make sure we have the right kind of skill training for the future. Mm. Uh, but in the long run, economists mostly agree that this will help ease the inflationary pressures we're seeing. After all, the, the problem with inflation is it creates higher costs for families. The whole idea of this bill is to lower costs for families, whether we're talking about uh, insulin, prescription drugs, childcare, electric vehicles, mm -hmm. so many things that are a pressure on families now. We can make that a little easier. How, but how with a labor shortage? Because so many people are just not wanting to work at this point. How are we going to fix that when it comes to these construction projects? Well, one thing we do see is a very strong pipeline into skilled trades, especially the work that unions are doing to uh, bring more people into these really high-paying jobs that don't require a college degree. I think there's still a lot of folks out there who don't realize just how much money you can make without having a university degree if you're prepared to do an apprenticeship or get those skills. We are going to need a lot more of that, but I'm very confident that the American people are up to the job. My last question here, circling back to this transit plan of ours, mm -hmm. we talk about light rail a lot in this city. Um, we have the blue line, you're sitting on the gold line here. Are we thinking futuristically enough though? Because trains and things like this have been around for a while. We have some of our leaders here who say, we're not pushing the envelope hard enough. Well, we need to do all of the above, right? So there's some very exciting future innovations around things like drones that we got to be preparing for. But, uh, you know, there's also a, a million-year-old transportation technology called walking, which we've got to make easier and safer in some of our urban areas. So whether you walk, bike, or roll, whether you drive or rely on transit, we've got to make sure all of those fit together. And the great thing about transit is it makes people better off who use transit, and it even makes people better off who don't use transit because it means less congestion on the roads. Gotcha. All right. Thank you so much. Some promising developments coming out of that interview. Hunter Signs, thank you for that. Coming up after the break, this week the North Carolina lieutenant governor found himself in hot water again. A fellow Republican calling his statements unacceptable. That's next. This week, North Carolina lieutenant governor Mark Robinson found himself in hot water again after confronting the Democratic lawmakers in the hallways of the state capitol in Raleigh. During a speech on the Senate floor, State Senator Julie Mayfield called out elected officials who speak out against minority communities. And she didn't mention Robinson by name during her remarks, but said elected officials should have respect for all their constituents, even the ones that don't vote for them. After the Senate session, Robinson caught up with Mayfield outside the chamber. State Senator Natasha Marcus from Mecklenburg County caught it all on camera. Next time, before you get ready to say something on that floor, come see me. I don't think it matters. Does she have to ask you before she speaks? Is that what you're saying? Now, for some context, folks, Robinson, a Republican, ha has been under fire over the past few months for comments he's made about the LGBTQ community at churches and conservative gatherings. No reason anybody anywhere in America should be telling any child about transgenderism, homosexuality, any of that filth. Any of that filth. That was back in June, but video resurfaced or surfaced in October. Despite calls for him to resign or tone down the rhetoric, the rhetoric continued last month. Let's look at it this way. Gay couple, straight couple, 
dark room, dark room. Nine months later, gay couple, two people. Nine months later, heterosexual, three people. These people are superior because they can do something these people can't do. Because that's the way God created it to be. Now, Robinson has insisted his anti-LGBTQ rhetoric is targeted at gay-themed books that he wants out of school libraries and isn't against any individuals. And we should say that we have reached out to his office twice in the last two weeks, and we've gotten no responses, hoping that he might come on Flashpoint and further sort of explain his beliefs. Law cabinet Republicans here in North Carolina issuing this statement saying the rhetoric is unacceptable. Joining us today is the president of the North Carolina Log Cabin Republicans, Kyle Lukey. Kyle, thanks for coming on again. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, let me get your response. I, I read the statement earlier from Log Cabin Republicans, um, but I want to get your response on the record uh, about Mark Robinson and, and some of the things the lieutenant governor has said over the last few months, because it started out as one statement, but now uh, there's been multiple statements. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when, when the first statements came out a couple of months ago, Lock Cabin Republicans very much viewed that as being about sexually explicit materials in public schools and um, given the context of those statements. And we had an opportunity to meet with the Lieutenant Governor and really hash out what, what he was meaning uh, when he made those comments. And we had a really productive conversation with him um, right after that happened. Um, the statements that uh, we have seen uh, recently in, uh, from the church in Winston-Salem those uh, went um, uh, in a completely different direction, in a direction that was uh, unacceptable and was demeaning to LGBTQ people uh, across the state. And really what, what we care about uh, as the Log Cabin Republicans is we would just hope that Lieutenant Governor understands his role, uh, not only as Lieutenant Governor, who represents every single North Carolinian, um, wh whether they are straight, gay, trans, or cis, well, we also uh, expect the lieutenant governor to recognize that he represents the Republican Party, and the Republican Party of 2021 is not one that accepts demeaning language about gay people or trans people. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in a church pulpit or if you're at a different public event speaking to um, a group of voters, you know, you are representative of of your office you are representative of the state and uh, you know he needs to conduct himself accordingly let me get some clarification here because you say that you all had a, a productive conversation um after the first statement and that you felt pretty good about it it seems so then was it not as productive as you thought um you know i'm i'm not getting to 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 delve into exactly the conversation that we had but i can say that we came up um you know, away from that conversation, heartened that he understood that LGBT people are a valuable part of the Republican Party and that, um, you know, there are many LGBTQ conservative voters. And, um, you know, we were heartened from that conversation. And that's why when he made the second comments at the church in Winston-Salem, we, we issued a very strong statement um, uh, against those comments because those comments were just unacceptable and, and really did not, um, comport with the with the person that I met with in Raleigh at the Lieutenant Governor's Mansion. Where, where do you guys go from here? Are you still trying to continue dialogue with him? Um, or, I mean, it's, it's hard when I know you guys are fighting for conservative values, but if you're fighting within the party, it's never advantageous, at least for, for party leadership. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we are continuing the conversation. Um, we are um, hoping to speak with his office uh, sooner rather than later. 
um, to further that dialogue. Because in reality, you know, making strongly worded statements um, opposed to particular policy positions like, you know, we did or like we've seen the Democrats be doing um, relating to this issue. I mean, the Democrats are fundraising off of this. Um, that's not really changing hearts and minds. And the goal of the law cabinet Republicans of North Carolina is to to show individuals like Lieutenant Governor that though he may have personal religious views that you know he is completely within his right to hold, he represents every North Carolinian and he needs to conduct himself accordingly. So we hope to continue that dialogue and continue uh, having that conversation uh, with his office and with the party at large um, to to really um, bring more and more LGBTQ voters into the Republican fold which is what the National Republican Party is really seeking to do. So to that point, uh, that's to that kind point, of where we're going uh, from here. I, I want to, there's a good segue, because I want to show video. You were at a sort of a first of its kind event down at Mar-a-Lago, the former president's place. Um, the former first lady was honored by, by a group there. This is sort of a G GOP pride event. Um, the president, former president was there himself. You were there. Um, we're showing some video of it right now. Um, and then the, the party chairwoman, uh, Rona McDaniel, got criticized for this event. Um, by some Republicans saying this goes against everything that Republicans believe in. Um, uh, what do you say? There's clearly um, a back and forth happening in your party, and you clearly have the former president supporting uh, events like that and supporting Republicans like you. But then you clearly have a lot of Republicans out there who, who don't think there's a place for log cabin Republicans or LGBTQ Republicans or, or at least an embrace of them. Yeah, and I, and, you know, I agree. There's been a lot of back and forth internal internal struggles within the RNC and and among states uh, as well. Um, I would I would say to that that you know in 2020 uh, the Trump uh, campaign did a first of its kind um, by engaging with LGBT voters through Trump Pride. We had a Trump Pride uh, event here in Charlotte, and this is just an extension of that. Um, you know. Policy changes within the Republican Party happen through dialogue and collaboration and, and conversation. And bringing more people into the fold just furthers those, dial those dialogues and those conversations. And that's what we should be excited about. We shouldn't be, you know, you know, being, you know, upset that more people are coming into the Republican fold and voting Republican. We should be excited about the opportunity of growing our tent and saying, you know, we don't disagree with the left. I mean, we don't agree with the left on how to approach a lot of LGBT issues. We can forge our own path, like they have done in states like Utah. So, you know, I'm excited about where the RNC is going with this. I'm excited about what the, the former president has opened the doors for LGBTQ conservatives in the party. And, you know, I really hope that here in North Carolina, we're able to continue the work that is coming from the national level down to the, the, the state level. Again, we asked uh, the Lieutenant Governor to come on and uh, we did not hear back from his office. If you had um, him here, what would you say to him? Um, what I would say is exactly what I, what I have said um, previously and, and I've said to other media outlets. You know, there is a time and a place for, um, you know, particular rhetoric. And right now he is in a, a position that is not um, one that is uh, one where he should be talking about LGBTQ people the way that he has. Um, I would say I respect his religious beliefs. Uh, I disagree with his religious beliefs. I have my own religious beliefs about homosexuality, about transgender status. Um, but he is free to have those. But you can have religious beliefs 
and not approach them in a demeaning way. I think a good example of this is what's been going on in Utah and actually the campaign that we just saw in Virginia. So the log cabin Republicans of, uh, nationally and the Virginia chapter in Richmond endorsed Glenn Youngkin for Virginia governor. Well, Glenn Youngkin is personally opposed to marriage equality. And that is a personal religious belief that Glenn Youngkin has. But he said that in a respectful, um, a respectful way that was said, this is my own personal belief, but marriage equality is the law of the land. I, that's not something that is going to change. And so that is the kind of, you know, that is the rhetoric that I think is appropriate. And what we have just seen um, over the past couple couple weeks is just not uh, rhetoric that is appropriate and is very demeaning to LGBT people. All right, Kyle Lubke. Kyle, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. This week, North Carolina's new legislative and congressional district maps faced several legal challenges. A bipartisan group of former governors, including North Carolina's Mike Easley and California's Arnold Schwarzenegger, even filing a brief in one of the lawsuits. The former governors argue that unfair maps really delete, uh, dilute people's votes, create more conflict, and make it harder to compromise because they encourage politicians to cater to primary voters, which diminishes the influences of, of the moderates, which where a lot of people are. Joining us now, professor of politics at Catawba College, Dr. Michael Bitzer. Professor, thank you as always. We appreciate it. My pleasure to be with you. All right, you are our go-to guy for many things, but specifically recently when it comes to redistricting, and we know there's several pending um, sort of legal challenges to it. Where, where do we stand right now? Um, as it stands right now, as I understand, tell me if I'm wrong, um, the, the sort of lines that have been drawn by the General Assembly are in place for the time being. That is correct. And until we have a court either put a pause on those maps or ask the General Assembly to go back and redraw the maps, I think what we are dealing with for the March primary and most likely for 2022's general election is in place. Generally, courts do not want to uh, insert themselves into this kind of dynamic. We have seen in the past lawsuits proceed and the maps be in place, even though they were ruled unconstitutional or illegal uh, subsequently. So I would be very surprised if a court said, you know what, we're going to insert ourselves, we're gonna put a pause on these maps and more so, you'll have to redraw them. I, I just don't think that that's likelihood, even though we have numerous lawsuits on hand already. Uh, so you don't think they'll do it before, say, the election next year, or they'll wait till after, or what's your, because I mean, I know we've been down this road many times in the last 10 years with the prior maps. Well, it hasn't just been the past decade. It has been literally the past 40 years in North Carolina. So we're starting a fifth decade of litigation over redistricting lawsuits. I think that we will have these maps in place for the 2022 election. It is likely the court cases will take at least a year to proceed through. And so I'm, I'm pretty confident that we would see these maps in play for 2022 to beyond that, particularly for 2024 and beyond, I'm really not sure because the lawsuits will be in place. Uh, something else we're talking about because um, it happened this week is the vice president and secretary of transportation um, coming here to Charlotte, um, talking about the infrastructure bill that passed last month. Um, less of a government question, I guess more of a politics question. Uh, 
I know mayors across the country have been vying for FaceTime when it comes to members of this administration, specifically when it comes to this infrastructure bill, because everybody wants uh, their sort of chunk of the pie to get the green light. Um, and nowhere is that more important than in Charlotte with our transit and, and transportation and infrastructure issues. Uh, do visits like this, can you glean anything from this? I think certainly it raises public awareness. You know, we have heard so much about this infrastructure bill, and it will take time for the impact to really uh, be felt here in North Carolina. But I think this is kind of the rally show. This is the opportunity for the Biden administration, through the vice president, and particularly through the secretary of transportation, to make the kind of headlines to say, we have accomplished something, this is huge, and this this is how Charlotte and the Charlotte region will be impacted by it. Certainly it's politics, but going into a midterm election year next year with the headwinds that Democrats are facing, they really need to show results. And I think that this tour across the country is the prime example of it. One last question, the Supreme Court uh, hearing arguments when it comes to um, a Mississippi case involving Roe v. Wade. Um, it appears that with six conservatives on the court that there might be some momentous changes uh, coming to abortion law, federally at least, here in the country. Uh, what does that mean? We don't, won't know anything until next June, probably, late right. June. Um, what does that mean here for North Carolina? I think certainly the dynamics of if we see Roe versus Wade either cut down further or in an extreme case overruled as precedent would mean that Republicans would open up the opportunity to pass legislation to potentially ban abortions here in North Carolina. We'll have to wait and see what the decision of the Supreme Court is. Most likely five justices will set that new ground rule for abortion rights here in North Carolina across the state. But the likelihood is we could see some monumental dynamics come out of that decision here in this state and across the country. All right. Professor of Politics, Mike Bitzer. Professor, thanks as always. Wearing an especially colorful tie uh, for this edition of Flashpoint, and we're always grateful for it. Professor, thanks. Good to see you. Take care. More Flashpoint after this. This week on Twitter, a lot of name call calling and insults between some members of the GOP in D.C. A few Democrats joined in as well. It started when Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene called out South Carolina Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Others then jumping in. It got nasty. It was very, like, middle school. And here's the thing. It's really tempting to want our political leaders to be fighters, you know, brash, blunt, straight shooting. It's refreshing, right? But then you realize it really coarsens our national dialogue when everybody does it. And most of all, it doesn't lead to effective legislating and governing, which is their job. Folks, come interact with me on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, you name it. Let us know if there's something you want to see here on Flashpoint. And as always, subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next week.